0: can't clear my name, uh, Reed. I need people that believe in truth and justice to help do that. But it is my God-given responsibility to defend my name, my wife's honor, my kid's honor. That's my responsibility. But believers should want justice and they should see justice as a crucial godly trait and a way of imaging Jesus.
1: I would just say this, if the truth is what's at stake, then fight on, Mighty Warrior. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. I have an amazing story to share with you today and an amazing guest. And that is no exaggeration. If you've been following the show, you know that we've Broken some uh, pretty interesting stories in the church, and today is no exception. So, today my guest is Stovall Weems. He is the founding pastor of Celebration Church. Now, Celebration Church was one of the largest churches in Jacksonville. But back in April of 2022, he resigned as the pastor of Celebration Church, and so today we're here to talk about some of the circumstances surrounding his resignation at Celebration Church, and I think it's a really important conversation, and we'll set the stage for why here in just a moment. But first, I just want to say, Stovall, thank you so much for being here.
0: Yeah, it's great to be here. Great to uh, be talking about this, especially with you, Reed.
1: I know, and this is a big week for you guys. We'll get into why that is, but there's been a lot of things happening with with you guys in terms of um, some things that were happening at your church, some things that you took a stand against and why you resigned from Celebration Church. So I I just think even if uh, the, there aren't people that are familiar with you or Celebration Church, I think that, uh, that the story as I have delved into it is a public interest story, even beyond the Christian aspects of it, but certainly if you're a Christian I think we need to pay attention to, to some of these things. Um, and I want to set the stage with why, if that's okay. I know there's a lot of things we got to dig into, but the reason I think it's important to have the conversation that we're going to have today, I think is ultimately, if I were to put a big, broad umbrella around it, from my perspective is is that if you care about the truth, you care about digging into some of these stories mm-hmm. and digging into what goes on with the church. I've always considered the church as kind of a canary in the coal mine, or at least what happens in the church is a reflection of typically what will happen in the culture. And so I care about the truth. Um, so. First and foremost, I care about Biblical compassion. And I think we have this kind of esoteric understanding of love in the Christian church, so we say, you know, Jesus was a friend of sinners, love the prostitute, love the the homeless person. And it's sometimes easy for us to say that because we're so distanced from that. The average Christian is on, on a regular basis anyway. And so it's easy for us to say, um, you know, love, but not to really understand what that looks like. And I think this story hits a little bit more home. And I think love at least, biblical compassion and not just human empathy, which I think the left and liberal Christians and progressive Christians really get this mistaken. I think it demands that we be careful in drawing conclusions and that we hear the whole story. So I think biblical compassion demands that we have conversations like this where we hear your perspective about what's taking place.
0: I'm gonna, I just want to piggyback off of one thing that you said that I think is absolutely crucial in the day and age that we live in and what honestly has been shocking uh, to both Carrie and I as we've walked through this, and that is a love for the truth, or I should say a lack of love for the truth. Yeah. And if there is anything in the culture that has definitely got into the church, it's it's this um, yeah, shunning, cancel culture. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it. what Carrie and I have walked through, it's like the truth doesn't even matter. Yeah. Like it just like, there's, there's no love for the truth. There's no stand for righteousness. There's no stand for justice. You know what, what you call biblical compassion. And, uh, it's just whatever kind of the masses think, so to speak, or whatever they feel or whatever they like, that's kind of, it's this, okay, that's going to be our narrative and our truth and yeah. the real truth uh is not very important and i've seen that read in people that i never thought i would see I'm i've sure. seen i've seen people refuse to look at evidence yeah refuse to read i mean the it, wolves come out in these yeah, kind of things yeah it, it's like it's like amazing because they don't want their narrative uh challenged yeah and let me so,
1: let yeah. me just say this too i think i think it's fair to say this that like they're I understand the sentiment in some way when Christians respond very emotionally to a pastor resigning or a pastor leaving a church, especially if it's unexpected, because, you know, you think, at least I'll say this from my perspective, I won't speak for you, but people like Carl Lentz probably never need to go near a pulpit ever again as long as they live, right? And so there's this emotional response in some ways, rightly so, but I also think that we do ourselves a disservice if whenever we hear a pastor resigns or a pastor is fired, not fired in your case, but you resign, um, or or whatever happens where there's an issue with the pastor of a church, I think immediately the emotional side of our brain starts kicking on and I, and I guess that's what I mean by biblical yeah, compassion yeah. That's good, yeah. is that we don't, we don't we let the emotional side kick in, but we don't let the biblical side rein in our emotions and help us to think clearly about these things that's because so good, yeah. I've dealt with this, at le- you, you know my story a little bit, but I've dealt with this a little bit Myself with other pastors on my show and and behind the scenes, and boy, I, when I tell you the trolls come out when a pastor um, leaves the church, it it's, it's just really true. And almost none of them have any biblical basis for what they're saying. They're just ready to jump on and pounce on uh, on a Christian. And it's and it's not only like atheists or non Christians that are doing it. It's Christians within the church because. Um, because I guess because they don't understand, and maybe because they don't really think from a biblical spe- perspective on any of these things, but but I also think it's because they don't have the other side of the story. I always mm-hmm. like to say this: be here, beware of one hand clapping. And all I mean is this, is that we need to get as much information from as many different places before we draw conclusions. Mm-hmm. And I think we should get better than that in that in the church, and and I mean that not just celebration church, but I mean like oh, church yeah, real yeah, large.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. To start off, I would say this. Uh, there is no short version of this story. Right. And so, you know, there's going to be some gaps that I'm going to miss. And then, you know, but we can always do more. Yeah. Uh, podcast. Well, and I hope to, yeah. To, so to kind of give a summary story of uh, of what's happened, um, Carrie and I were transitioning. And so we were transitioning to this founding pastor role where I could focus on on uh, what's my heart, well, I got into ministry in the very first place, and yeah. that's that's missions. That's, so you're
1: looking for a succession plan at this point in time. You've, yeah. you've been at, uh, how long have you been at Celebration Church at this time? Uh,
0: 20 years.
1: Okay, so 20 years pastoring, it's time for succession. You've been there a while.
0: Yep, yep, and it wasn't a succession where I was totally leaving the church. I, I just wanted to move into, you know, some denominations might call it a bishop's role, a founding pastor's role, where really, uh, you know, the church is, uh, you know, being run by someone else. And I'm out there able to focus on uh, missions and where my passions really are yeah. uh, in the kingdom. And so so we were in this really about a three-year uh, plan um, heading towards that. And to make a very long story succinct, um, there was a group of people that came together, the beginning of this started in the summer of 2020. They came together, uh, trustees, some staff, uh, overseers, and basically what they did was begin to create a false narrative and secretly meet and secretly plan my ousting. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew some things. Uh, One of the trustees had done some fraudulent billing and some other things. One of the staff members, I caught them uh, doing some things. And uh, basically, it all kind of culminated at the beginning of 2022, when they uh, illegally uh, seized the institution of the church by getting a litigating attorney violating the bylaws banning me from the property, and then going in and changing the bylaws, self-appointing themselves, the highest ecclesiastical authority in the church with no ecclesiastical qualifications. They took all my power, uh, the plenary power of the senior pastor. They took the power of the overseers. And the trustees that were only supposed to approve mm-hmm. the annual budget are now in complete control of the church and then placed me under investigation without ever asking me one question, without ever meeting with me one time. So that's...
1: I want, I want to say yeah. something about that real quick, because I think this goes back to the why a little bit, just to, just to make this important point, I think, is that there is this story in the Bible where you got like people like Saul who are going to be removed from ministry because of impropriety. But then you have stories like Job that you just mentioned where a righteous man is being accused unjustly by his neighbor. And so I think a well-rounded view of Scripture understands that there's room for like a lot of these different takes on these things. So my hope today is to to give some uh, specific information about what took place in your story so people can try to at least, because they're going to one way or the other, the court of public opinion is going to weigh in. um, And my hope is that they do so With as much information as possible, so to to yeah. Let me
0: get back to. I know I got off. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: So, so, so I think an important piece to just roll back to, and I really don't even know legally how much you can talk about this, but I think an important piece to roll back to is you said the ball started rolling on this when you exposed something that was happening within your uh, was it your board or within your trustees.
0: Uh, it was with or just a church member it, no it was within uh, one of our trustees okay. and then also uh, one of our um, staff members okay so yeah.
1: trustee by the way for those who are watching um, a trustee is nothing more than kind of a financial board member is that is that a yeah g- so good our,
0: our governance model which several churches like ours have um, you know the senior pastor because I'm the founding pastor that's what I was getting to by the time I, after 24 years, the reason that the me as the senior pastor has all this plenary powers because I'm the founding pastor right. uh, as well. And so in this transition um, it I, I needed to disperse that power mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. And um, so that was going on. And then with a staff member, I uncovered something. And, uh, and that person wouldn't take ownership of it. And then with a trustee I uncovered something uh very serious Mm -hmm. and you know I did Matthew 18 I confronted him uh you know he said you know that he was making it right and so I just you know once again I'm transitioning you know he's I'm okay great he just went sideways whatever uh, this so, is- so there's
1: room for restoration not to mention this is something that perhaps that can be dealt with with the next guy and you don't want to make too many decisions uh, especially as somebody who's going to be rolling out what, whatnot so so needless to say you you take it at his word that whatever's going on and again I hope people understand that we're going to gonna give as much information as possible but there's also limitations to what we can and cannot say but um, okay so just so I understand correctly and so the people at home understand correctly so there's a confrontation that happens behind the scenes between you and somebody else. You confront somebody else, and then that starts with the ball rolling on a couple of different things behind the scenes. And so, um, you, you alluded to it, but let's get to ultimately the the accusations that were made uh, about you and about Carrie, um, because there are, I think, two. One that almost don't want to get into because the others need to the most amount of time, but suffice to say that there's been two accusations I think that have been out there in the ether, uh, one of which is financial impropriety and then another is spiritual abuses. We'll kind of get to the spiritual abuses thing in just a moment, uh, but, uh, but let's talk about the specific accusations that uh, following that encounter that you had with that individual, that confrontation, these accusations that were then thrown at you because ultimately we need to just say, all right. So you were accused of this. So you accused another guy of, the, of something else. So w- is there any validity to the accusation? So is it okay if we jump into kind of some of the specific accusations?
0: Yeah, yeah. If if we so to kind of finish that up yeah. because this is this when we talk about love for the truth and things done in order and in a biblical way, this is really really huge. And so. This went on, you know. Our our goal—they had a founding pastor emeritus agreement. They, you know, they had all these things set up, and so the goal was, uh, at the end of the year, I transition into this role, and um, you know, I'm on my way. Remember, in our church government, trustees have no ecclesiastical power. Yeah. We used to have one meeting a They're year. They're just a financial board. Yeah, yeah. They ju- they ju- they just approve the budget, and the reason they have such a limited role is because nowadays. Just like I've done every year, an independent financial audit. Your your lender has restrictions on you. There's just so many ways yep. that you're, uh, you know, you know how it is. And so, uh, these trustees, as we were heading uh, towards the end of the year, when it got to the end of the year, um, they they basically didn't have any of those things done or planned or ready to execute, like they like they said. And then what they did was, the trustee that I confronted back in April, mm-hmm. okay, he had done two more things since then. And so I had to, this was the meeting to confront him like, you can't be part of any leadership yeah. team here ever. And so he fired out, fired back, my term is not up, and I'm putting you under investigation. Wow. This trustee says, I'm putting you under investigation. And so, uh, well, you can't do that in our bylaws. Only overseers can even call for an investigation. The trustees can... So so let's pause real quick. So
1: the kind of people that have the obligation and the leadership role to oversee the pastor would be the board, not the trustees. So just to make that clear, is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Those would be what we would call presbyters... Apostolic elders or overseers, uh-huh. we've used those inter- interchangeably in our church government. Those are the ones that have the ecclesiastical power. They oversee me and the church. And if I was involved in any type of impropriety, a trustee, it, members could go to the trustees and, and call them. But you have to have two before you do it. They need to have a meeting with me so I can know yep. what I've done, what what uh, questions. Okay, uh,
1: so that's a kind of a bombshell right there, right? That gets... Uh, laid out your, in your lap. Um, but I think it's important to also understand um, in, the, in the midst of all of this happening, wh- where is your board in all of this, right? Because so this trustee comes and takes a plenary power that he doesn't possess, that and he usurps a sense, a, a, um, a power that the board would typically have. Where does he get off doing this and where is your board to try to step in and stop this from happening?
0: Well, Reed. That's a very interesting question because that opens up the bigger case. Those guys, it was their responsibility to, number one, protect the church, protect me. They were supposed to keep order, and they did the opposite. They knew that this trustee coup was coming. Mm-hmm. They knew because they have the same bylaws or close to the same bylaws that, that I have. They knew the way that they were doing it was unlawful, mm. and uh, so long story short, this trustee says you're under investigation. Which then I walked them through how to investigate me the right way. I've never said I don't yeah. want to be investigated. I just want to do it biblically and in an order, yeah. and you know so confirm my new uh, my, confirm my overseers that I nominated right after John and Dino resigned. Remember that's very normal because we used to only have a meeting once a year. Mm-hmm. And so you, people resign, you put your confirmations and they said, and they said, no, we're not confirming them. And then the next thing that I know is, um, I get a letter that, um, I'm banned from church property. This is a litigating attorney. They have never met with me one time and told me anything that I've done wrong. So, no.
1: so at this point in time, you're not even like they haven't tried to fire you. They just ban you from the property.
0: Yes, it is their their first act. Uh-huh. OK, but <laughs> with zero meetings, zero. Hey, let's, still, mm-hmm. let's sit down and talk about this. We have some concerns here. So it started, if you want to say in the court, mm-hmm. it started with. Litigation, so to speak. It started with ban from the property, threat of arrest. I don't know what I've done wrong. I've never been interviewed, and then they do it to my wife as well.
1: So again, there's no like real ecclesiastical process taking place here with the trustees
0: or the board. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so I, this is when I go to my thing. I start, you know, calling ARC and calling people and saying, "Man, these are Middlebrooks bylaws. These are like ARC bylaws. These guys have completely." unlawfully sees the institution come in and can y'all help yeah no help nothing silence it to the point read i will show you an email and, and in the email uh one of the guys says you know um you know these trustees we um you know, we know one of them might have done some fraudulent billing and stole some money, but you know, overall these are good guys.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And okay. and 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 in that email right when this started, you can you can see I was done. I'm not coming back as senior pastor I'm, I mean, I'm not even coming back as founding pastor. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have nothing to do with the church.
1: I mean, did they like slap a restraining on you, like you're the ex-boyfriend or something, or how did they? No, try to ban that's you from what the we property? found
0: out. Them banning us from the property that wasn't even lawful. Huh. It was like this this whole what the what the attorney did and what he's done to this day, um, and. That there's a whole other podcast on that. He used his legal profession, his attorneyness, to instill fear uh-huh. and coerce people to do things. So, man, I get a thing, you know, memorandum of law.
1: Yeah, so you don't even know if this thing is legal, but it's from an attorney. So you're thinking to yourself, yeah. oh boy, I better never go back because yeah. I can get arrested Yeah, My soon, fa-
0: father's attorney, an attorney sent me this. Well, there, there's got to be something to it. And so what they did, here's what they did. So they banned us from the property, um threat of uh, arrest or trespassing, calling the authorities if I come on the property, and then they cut off our communications. They seized our our email and our personal information, seized it over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you how devastating that was because any employee has, you know. We give them a few days to get your personal stuff. Like I had 24 years. Unless recently. you're the
1: founding pastor. Yeah, or
0: unless you're the founding pastor. So uh, the, the 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 chaos that that has caused by cutting us off from all that, and then we, we can't talk to any of our friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, now um, we've been shunned, and they're telling them not to talk to us. I've been given these, looks like legal orders not to talk to them. And then here's the thing. So then, here's what they do. They unlawfully seized control of the institution that following Monday. This all started happening on a Friday. Mm -hmm. That following Monday, that trustee that I caught in the fraudulent billing with another trustee and this litigating attorney, not church attorney. This is like a corporate litigator. They go in and lead the Staff meeting, the all staff meeting. This trustee leads a staff meeting with uh the attorney there and wow. the and the other guy there and tries to act like, oh, this is just completely normal. Yeah. And uh and so in our culture, you'll you'll know this read. When a pastor, we we can't find an example yet. If a pastor gets banned from church property. And cut off like that. Don't even talk to him. In our world, he must have done something horrible. Absolutely. What a monster. I mean, you know, all the guys that have really, unfortunately, done some really bad things, have really messed things up with sin and all that kind of stuff. They at least get questioned. Yeah. They get like people uh, accused of murder (laughs) get questioned. And so it, there's some due process, yeah. The slander. I mean, it was it was like five days. Reed Stovall's gone. He's done something horrible. He's stolen all this money. It was total chaos. But here's what they did. Then, I well, mean, can we
1: stop real quick because yeah. I think that's an important point because. People could be listening to this right now and be thinking, okay, so Reed's going to uh, probably take Stovall's side, and I'm going to try to push back here in a moment when we get to the allegations, but um, this is just an opportunity to um, clear your name. But, but I would encourage people, okay, if we're going to be honest, intellectually honest about what just took place then what we need to do is just investigate the claim that you just said. Was there any due process involved in uh, in what took place in your circumstance? And if yes, okay, but if not, then, we, then something's a foul, right? Because right there, in and of that, in and of itself, it, something's fishy if they're yeah. trying to suspend any due process or allow you any opportunity to answer the allegations that were brought against you.
0: No due process. Mm-hmm. No questions. And that's evidence in the report that they finally came out with was April 22nd. I'm sorry, April 24th. Um, April 24th, their report came out. Yeah. Uh, what's that? Four months later? Yeah. And and they had – the the reason we filed the first injunction at the end of February, they told us, oh, yes, you're coming in for questioning. We're going to do that right away. You'll see oh, – people will see it in all these emails and everything. Oh, yeah, we're coming for the first round of questioning. They never let – we were begging them. We're, I demand – one time my, my attorney sent in a thing – we demand that you question, yeah, the Weems,
1: and and b- not to mention we're talking legal due process, but we're also talking about biblical precedent to, Hey, if there is an accusation brought against somebody, then go to them directly, talk to them, yes. and then if they still don't listen, go take somebody else and go to the church, and then if they still don't listen, that so there's this process laid yes. out in Scripture for yes, this kind of and
0: that's how it got so. It's just so evil. So what they did was they led the all-staff meeting, first time ever a, a trustee did that. Then two days later, they went in with their attorney, and they changed the bylaws. Uh, okay. Yes, this is what i got to get to. This is the thing. But what they did was they their attorney, that's why this whole thing was masterminded by this attorney, Wedekind. It was so well-planned they had a brilliant plan really evil but but brilliant so they go in they seize the seat of power and then they go in and they change the bylaws they take out the plenary authority of the senior pastor they assume the power of the overseers and they appoint themselves the highest ecclesiastical yeah. authority in the church with no ecclesiastical qualifications. And then they announce, I'm under investigation by their attorney. Wow.
1: Wow. I mean, the thing that comes to mind here is like the big why. Because I'm thinking if people are are, are with us up to this point, they're asking, okay, so... If this happened, there's no due process. If the board of trustees are taking on a plenary authority that typically would be uh, relegated to the overseers uh, who uh, handle the pastor, set a salary and all that kind of stuff and in, in deal with the pastor, why did they do this? So um, let's get to their uh, accusations. Let's yes. handle them. And then let's also, um, and I'll do my best to kind of just be an inquisitor here.
0: Uh You'll ask from every angle, every, because... We, look man we have been through four different law firms seven different attorneys two PC, two cpas two auditors my new board we have been looked at every which way yeah uh and wait till you see this other uh firm that just looked into everything that a report's about to come out on so Ask away, man. <laughs> All right, so let's get, let's get
1: to the cause. So, yeah. so not that they brought these charges initially when they finally said that you're banned from the property, but eventually they come out with this report that you can find on the Celebration Church website mm. that is a legal report. I've, maybe this is standard, um, but, but I've never seen anything like it. But suffice to say, on the uh, on the menu of the homepage of the church, one the, of the
0: six main. Let they? me define that for you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it is one of the six main engagement bars on the main page, which is its celebration. Yeah. That's the window dressing page yeah. for the public.
1: So the first, yeah, it's the front door of the church, and yeah. then you have a legal report for why they dismissed the pastor.
0: Yes. It, so, so, and that's important. So, yeah, it's right. You know, by you know, you know, giving you know about us, giving watch services watch report. Yeah. Like. It's designed for maximum visitor public uh, access.
1: It's almost as if they're trying to uh, shape consensus. So nonetheless, all yeah. right. So. So,
0: so, But watch this. But what you just said is the big misconception, and it's how this attorney really began to lead this thing. That's why he's a main defendant mm-hmm. in the case. And that is his report is not a legal report. It has nothing to do with litigation. It has—it's not legal at all. He put his name, his firm's name, on a report, and just spewed out all this stuff. Yeah. But the, and that's what really—the narrative that they did—they just had control of the narrative for so long before we realized. They are trying to destroy us. I mean, they are violent. It is like at no severance, you know, yeah. a victim, you know, put it, leak it to the press, front page of the website, just. It,
1: yeah. And your story has been on, uh, I, I I won't dignify the name of certain pseudo Christian journalist, but uh, it's been on the, the front page of certain people out there um, in the Christian journalistic world, but then it's also been in places like the Christian Post, it did a couple different stories on you guys, and then uh, and then also, too, it's been on the local news here in Jacksonville, so you guys have gotten some some pretty good publication with everything oh, it's, that's going it's on. It's
0: everywhere, you know.
1: All right, so um, so on the report, let's just dig into some of the accusations, and again, um, we'll try not to bog down too, too much in, in the details, but try to get at least what was said, and then... Um, why the accusation in your estimation is erroneous. And then I'll just try to ask some kind of push back and ask some questions about that. So the first one is this, and this is the interesting one to me because I know something about this because I took out a PPP loan for my church because we were a brand new baby church. So I get $300 a month for PPP uh, because that's how much I was getting paid salary. (laughs) Uh, But needless to say, um, so uh, COVID hits and uh, everybody and their mama gets uh, the opportunity to sign up for a PPP. PP loan so uh, it's something that anybody can do that has a business and for those who don't know suffice to say, uh, I think it's like eighty twenty split. That eighty percent of it is supposed to go to payroll, and then twenty percent of it can go somewhere else. And uh, then it will be forgiven by the government because the government shut everybody down. Uh, we won't even get into that. But the government shut everybody down, so they're making the decision. So they're going to fit the bill is essentially the idea. So you guys get two draws of PPP, I think, uh, it, as it were. And the, the one of the allegations is that you were, uh, that you misused some of those PPP funds instead of using it for payroll or whatever, uh, it was used for X, Y, Z. So give us that, what did they accuse you of and uh, give us kind of your side of the story there.
0: Well, (laughs) so the PPP money that we got was 1.1 million. I don't apply for PPP. I don't oversee the administration or whatever of mm-hmm. PPP. I'm just really glad that they got it. Yeah. <laughs> I lo- 2020. I must do. Yeah, it was huge. And then I didn't even know that we had applied for it in 2021. Great. You know, our CFO tells us, hey, I applied for um, another round of PPP. Uh, great, man. We're rejoicing, especially in, uh, in 2021 because – the revenue was going down you know that's another story with the new leadership and their stewardship but the revenue was going down so my heart for missions I'm like man they're going to start pulling they're going to start pulling from these different ministry pools uh to help fund payroll so I'm like awesome so it was great yeah. so so that's that is the extent mm. <laughs> of my uh, ppp thing so
1: Money is fungible anyway, so as long as you have more money in the bank than what you've got in, you can just show, as long as you're playing payroll anyway, you can just show that that money went to where it needs to go and be forg- forgiven by the government. But um, but what's, what's interesting is that I know the way boards and budgets work, so you have a certain amount of money allotted to a certain line item each and every year. So how exactly are they accusing you of spending money that you shouldn't be spending when that budget's already preset by these people that are accusing you?
0: That's a very good question, Reed. Exactly. They changed the bylaws, gave themselves the power I used to have, Mm -hmm. plenary authority. And now those accusations in that report, that false report, they're trying to act like I'm under their coup 2022 bylaws and need approval for all this stuff Mm -hmm. no it had already been approved in the budget the missions of the the um eight hundred thousand dollars uh that went to uh the missions organization honey lake that distributes it to all of our missions partners so that was the second trimester uh missions giving which was five hundred thousand dollars The missions budget was one point, it's actually 1.7 million, 10% of 17. They gave way way less than that. Um, So, three times a year, $500,000. And the other monies that went there were from our heart for the house for other missions Mm -hmm. projects. So, he's trying to say that our budgeted, scheduled missions giving is PPP money. And that's nefarious. Mm-hmm. It, it's bizarre. It's like people went in there that had no knowledge of governance, of how things work, of how lending works, of how, and just threw a bunch of stuff up. It's it's that <laughs> it's that bad. And if people, you know, they're going to see this week because what the church is arguing mm-hmm. in the court, that's going to be made known. Um, this other report that we have coming out, that's going to be made known. Um,
1: yeah, so people need to be following this stuff, but to, to to kind of see the 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 outcome of these individual kind of accusations being handled on, on a legal basis, per, the way they should, probably should have been in, originally. But suffice to say that every single year, a board is. Uh, present to uh, vote on a budget and then they approve the budget and then the pastor goes and is able to to spend within the budget yes so suffice to say i think i mean i think that pretty satisfactorily as long as you as are, are they accusing you of spending outside of the budget um on on anything in in that report because i don't remember seeing that i don't see it like a purchase that you made or anything like you're buying a Lamborghini or a yacht or if you do let's go afterwards and go check it out but
0: yeah, so the 2021 budget was a rollover budget from 2020 that was talked about in the December 2020 board meeting. Yeah. Well, that 20 20 budget was 20 million dollars. So 20 million dollars rolled over. I'm the one that said no, 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 no. Tim's come. It's gonna go down some. Let's set it at seven seventeen. So we set it at 17 million. It came in at 14 million. What I'm trying to say is, I've never spent less mm-hmm. in the history of me being a pastor than I did that year. It was it was extremely difficult as revenue tanked, and um, so th- all these read back to what you said. Why would somebody do this? Why would a small group of people do this? Because they are hiding something. And what they did to get to this point, there's a couple of people that are hiding really big things. And now it's in the courts and it is coming out. Okay. And the other people, a lot of them were brought into the narrative and they pushed the narrative for so long. They, they started pushing it in uh, the fall of 2020. And they pushed it so hard and so long, and they got so many people uh, involved, um, including our own church attorney, uh, mm-hmm. Middlebrook, who never read, never called me one time. Yeah. Goodspeed never called me one time, like, hey, hey, pastor, we're getting things from these uh, trustees or something. I think you need to sit down and have a meeting with them. Okay. Like that's the whole thing. Their goal was to never have me speak. That was the whole goal. And that's why as soon as it it, it went down, no interview. Don't talk to him. I can't uh, talk to anybody. And I'll tell you, Reed, when we talk about a living, active faith of followers of Jesus, there it, it is it is so evil to try to silence someone and it is so destructive to the body of christ because if we can't sit at a table mm-hmm. and do the one another's yeah. of the bible if yeah. i need to repent what do i need to repent of if we can't, how do we confess how yeah. do we come to agreement and so that's what they did with that attorney they killed any communication so
1: And I, I I have a suspicion about this too. And I like so like every time you say something that gets into the ballpark of of my suspicion, it I I like want to jump to it immediately. But but I want to hold off because I think I know why too. While why the table of communion, as it were, to use an illustration, might be cut off and increasingly cut off the more we kind of follow a certain system of doing church, but. I want to hold off on getting to that because um, because I think that there's some other substantial things that I think um, that have been, would be beneficial to kind of talk about. So the PPP thing we just talked about. So let's talk quickly about um, about houses and then we'll talk about TurnCoin. So another thing in the report is that they accused you of what I, what I read the report as is this, and then you can tell me what what your thoughts are and I may be misreading it. But when I read the report, this is what I hear them saying. I hear them saying you personally bought houses with your own organization then you turned around and sold those houses to enrich yourself and you sold them to the church now again i just want to jump in there and answer this because i feel like there's a, like there's a glaring like red alarm with that accusation which which is you approved the purchase like what's the problem here when you're the board approving the purchase unless you just with divine fiat power just said no i'm going to make the church buy this house that i'm selling um, and, so that I can line my pockets with money. Um, so regardless of what anybody thinks about churches and boards, buying houses and real estate and property and all that stuff, let's just talk about this from a legal perspective and push the moral things to the side uh, for a moment and, and just say, okay, so is, is that pretty accurate? Is that what they're accusing you of?
0: Yes, they're, they're accusing me that this uh, shell cracker parsonage was this uh, nefarious secret thing that I did without the board's knowledge or approval and um, I pocketed all this money in some type of... Uh, because because
1: in fairness, you bought it um, at one price, we but then it, you sold it at a higher price to the yep, church. So yep. why?
0: So when we bought the parsonage from our own company, there's a story behind that. What the church did was they came in and bought the shell cracker property and all of its assets... And gave money for improvements at $1.286 million. Okay. At the time, the property was worth the fair market value, if we would have sold it like everybody else was selling uh, their houses, was $1,041,300. Okay. So we sold the house. And its assets, all the furniture, all the FF&E, as we talk about in the church world, for $1.286 million. We spent way over that in housing, in upgrades, in all of those uh, things like that. We only paid 855000 when we got it because we got a great deal, and it was before the housing mark mm-hmm. spike. So... So
1: let me just step back just to make sure. So you're selling it um, at an increased rate because they're putting money for uh, improvements that were placed into the house, but then also uh, assets that were in the house, including furniture and that kind of of stuff. Yes.
0: Yeah, all of our furniture is just like, you know, you just think of a ministry lodge or, you know, whatever you think of. But here's the thing. The money that we spent on housing and on more furniture and on improvements and everything else that money still exceeds <laughs> if we would have paid the the church paid the 855 here's the thing to us it didn't matter because number one they're giving us the parsonage mm-hmm. and number two we're going to spend way more than uh four hundred and fifty five thousand on extra stuff when it's all uh, said and done yeah i mean we had a it's like that's what i'm saying and they were supposed to give it to us which was in the founding pastors emeritus agreement in december yeah and they had a compensation committee that approved it everyone knew about it the the lender the the cfo Every single board person yeah. knew all about the parsonage.
1: So not only were you not enriching yourself on it, it's something that they all approved anyway. It wasn't just something that you just went and did <laughs> yes and the, the And, the,
0: and the, 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 the temporary parsonage, I made them $175,000. The Shellcracker pro- property right now, if we sold that property and, and its assets, they're going to make more than $1.286 million. Yeah. I, I mean, I was able to, by the grace of God, I removed six and a half million dollars in payroll and ministry expenses a year stepping out into these other uh missions things helping to offload staff with Reed, with the good faith expectation that they were going to follow through on these things that are in written agreements they knew how much money i'd put into honey lake moan personal money And that's when when they came and cut everything off with no severance threat with the like they knew what they were doing, Mm -hmm. and so the shellcracker property it's just it's just simple. We transferred the property. It's worth one more than one point two eight six million, and I don't know what they were thinking, but they surely weren't thinking. I mean, they—they they, it was it. This is like the how do attorneys say it? this is one of the biggest reckless, blind action things that I, I, that that some people have ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so, what they thought was this: like they never thought, like, oh, he's going to have to pay taxes, so he's going to have to account for all of these housing expenditures. They never thought, like, I have, they, they said I enrich myself. I have bank statements. I have auditors. I've got a, a, a CPA. So they're saying these things on that report. My, <laughs> my CPA, you know, one of the senior partners at, at, at a well-known CPA firm is like, what's, he's looking at the actual bank statements. Mm-hmm. He's filing my taxes for how much money I lost yeah. in all, the, all of these things. So he's like, "What are they talking about? What are they doing?"
1: <laughs> yeah, right, I'll be the first to just be honest with you and say I I don't like because it just doesn't feel good. I guess I don't like the the purchasing of million dollar properties for parsonages for churches, but but it's also not illegal, and it's also there's no there's no like direct biblical mandate against it, and it's also actually pretty common practice for churches because they have. Uh, because they're 501c3s and because they're religious organizations, they have certain allotments and allowances for parsonages. Yeah, it's I just written yeah. into the law.
0: I, that's why I didn't decide the amount of that parsonage. I didn't prove the amount of that parsonage. The compensation committee and the board did. And, and remember... Especially
1: when you think about the fact that you're letting go of salary at this I'm point getting in time. Off and sal-
0: if you look at what I was saving the church for the next 20 years, oh man... That parse. I just wanted a place to build for my family, for my kids, for my, and anyone that goes out to Shellcracker, listen, Shellcracker is no swanky place, (laughs) I assure you. It is a very uh, raw neighborhood. You might have these amazing homes next to a a, a trailer, Um, but we wanted to build a place for our kids, our grandkids, and that was the seed of that, and um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, what, Reed, if what you, read, if you took all this away and you just all these facts and you just looked at them and said, okay, so you transferred your parsonage or okay, so you, um, you purchased Turncoin. Okay, you got $100,000. Uh, you invested $100,000 in this investment for your staff, not you. Um, I don't f- – when objective people look at this, they can't find anything wrong. Like, mm-hmm. like what is – they see all the language and the slander and just trying to smear yeah. me. But if you get and look at what's available with the evidence and the data and churches and my authority, I just didn't do anything they may not
1: like it but it's not illegal yeah
0: yeah people might not like the TurnCoin investment but it's not illegal there's a lot of investments you would have invested in last year um they were great this year they're not yeah. so far turn coins doing okay <laughs> doing pretty good yeah doing doing pretty good they don't bring that out of course but uh
1: let's talk about TurnCoin. coin the funniest allegation to be totally honest with you is the TurnCoin allegation that's in the report because TurnCoin is a it's not a cryptocurrency what is it called it's a uh
0: it is a digital a, currency yeah digital currency
1: it's a digital yeah. currency so it works they, like a
0: stock share yeah.
1: okay so i i'll be i mean i'll be honest with you i've told you i don't i don't like the investing of church funds into these kind of things in these kind of investments but but this is also the funniest thing to me for a very special reason. So you take money and you get and you give it to an organization, or you invest it into an organization called TurnCoin, which is a digital currency. Now, a person on the outside, I'm trying to get in their head. They look at that and they say, "Well, why would you take that money and invest it in, uh, give it to an investment? So why would you do that? Aren't you supposed to like go feed the uh, African missionaries or something like that?" So, so that the, the, the I'll let you tell why this is a little bit funny.
0: I'm sorry. I was just listening to you say because Turncoin is the best high risk extremely volatile asset investment you could make. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh Yes, it, but yeah, the yeah, point but, is but, but, people but don't know is. what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People yeah, don't yeah, know yeah. what it is, therefore so, they say Yeah, I'm trying not to do an infomercial for Turncoin right now. Sure. <laughs> okay, but it's However, if you're looking to invest, so um, no, TurnCoin, just let me say, there's a whole story behind how we got involved with TurnCoin. It has to do with the leadership, the mission, what they're able to do for kids, get out of poverty, their foundation. There's a whole thing behind it, but let's just go on uh, investing money and just putting uh, church money into investments, which I have the authority Mm -hmm. uh, to do. It's very clear. Uh, from our bylaws the non coup bylaws um so you know first of all cash on hand I mean the PPP came in uh we had 2.2 million before the church took in one I mean whatever they had a hundred thousand dollars of the church's money I put in an investment because I thought I believe in the company but the main thing is I think it is is the best chance that our senior staff has of getting any type of decent retirement. Mm. One thing we didn't bring up in the parsonage thing was I didn't get any retirement for 20 years. And so starting in 19, the, the, the board at that time, they were giving me extra money. They were trying to get me set up for this transition to get off salary. Okay. So, so, um, that's what I did. I took cash that was idle. $100,000, $100,000, you know, I don't know if people know this or not. You know how it is in churches. What does hundred grand get you? Like two intelligent lights? Mm-hmm. Like it, it,
1: it, it's, it's... It's not much in the whole scheme of things. It's yeah.
0: not much in the whole scheme of things. And I wanted to do something. I'm transitioning out. I thought it's the best chance for our staff that have been there with me, many of them for a long time to at least have a shot at something significant yeah. for retirement. And lo and behold, it might crash next year. It might crash when it goes, uh, uh liquid in October, but lo and behold, we got it for a dollar per turn coin right now. It's almost $15 per turn coin. So that $100,000 of investment is at least valued right now at almost $1.5 million.
1: How dare you invest $100,000 and make $1.5 million for the kingdom of God?
0: (laughs) That's the point. And it's the point with the other missions organizations that invested in TurnCoin. All of us, the board, everybody, we were trying to prayerfully look at things where ministries and churches could get a stream of revenue that's not so donation-dependent.
1: Uh, yeah. donation-centric. And by the way, more in the, this is not to defend you, this is just the reality, more and more churches yeah. are leaning this way to try to figure out ways that they don't have to be so determined upon asking people for money. So you would almost think that this would be something that people would be like, okay, the church is finally starting to use their brain and getting a little bit more industrious <laughs> and trying to build things for the kingdom rather than just done people for money.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, and 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 if it turns out to be bad and falls below the whatever, well then I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. But let's wait and see if that happens. Doesn't but look
1: like it's going to be that way, but not to mention Turncoin itself is also not just your run-of-the-mill digital currency. It's also a digital currency that also has a very humanitarian basis.
0: Huge, man. That's I mean, go to the website uh, turncoin.com. I would I'd put more money in it tomorrow if I could. It's look at the when you understand how it really can pull especially the kids out of things, there's a real chance here to make a how dent. does it how does it do that? Because it's the it's like the it's the people for people. So anyone with any talent, you know, it's like the soccer kid, you know, just somewhere in some lost country and extreme. Poverty. If somehow he can get seen, well, I mean, he can eventually. He can have his own stacks app, and you'll have to read all that stuff on the website. But uh, uh, he can. uh, So
1: suffice to say, some of the investments go to help um, uh, future aspiring athletes. Is that kind of the idea? Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, and if you look at the philanthropy side to it, that's what got me excited, and the fact that we were able to get in. like in that, when is the FCC, SEC? It's SEC regulated, by the way. It's not like Bitcoin. And we're like the initial cash offering, PPM. Like that's where if it works, you've got a real chance to, uh, for it to explode. And once again, all of those things were for these uh, ministries. And if you go look on the website, look at the people promoting it. Look at all the athletes and celebrities. And it's it's not some, you know, shadow market in Uzbekistan. Right. How and here's the thing. Who the the first investor into Turncoin was one of our board members. Yeah. And there's two or three board members invested in turncoin along with several staff. Everybody was excited about it. Reed, that's the that's why this is so evil. Like they all knew. We yeah. were all doing these things together. And then when the all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we don't know anything.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing that's the most troubling for me, and maybe you would call it the most evil, is is the last thing. Because I found this extraordinary that in the report that they have online, they also list this as one of the... I, they wouldn't maybe say it this way, but, but I will because it seems that this is what they're um, trying to do in the report. But they make one other allegation, and that is that you dared to have an encounter with Jesus Christ that began to weigh upon your conscience and weigh upon your heart with the way that we were doing church. So I know this is going to be another one of those things that's hard to succinctly uh, describe, but I know that there's going to, be people that, going to be people that aren't familiar with this. So could you succinctly describe the encounter experience? What happened? And then we'll go from there.
0: Yes. And I'll just say right now before your audience, I would love to do a podcast where you interview me on the actual encounter uh, itself. Okay. That, that would be, um, yes. So, so anyway, once again, there's no short uh, answer uh, here. And an interview with that, you know, would, um, it usually takes a good three to four hours to really unpack it. But on uh, Passover, the night of Passover 2018, we were doing um, a, a, a service, and uh, I heard a Hebrew voice. I was doing it with a Messianic Jew. Passover happened to be on the same night as Good Friday, so he was doing um, the Seder mm-hmm. uh, type service, kind of like Passover meal.
1: Kind yeah, of thing. Passover
0: meal, and um, and so I heard a Hebrew voice that was not the you know. The, the guy that was ministering with me, it was not his voice. He was speaking. All of a sudden, it went into stereo surround sound, and, um, and it was Hebraic. And uh, I, I looked over uh, to on the uh, stage, and, and I saw the Lord. He was right there.
1: So like you mean you visually saw?
0: I visually saw the Lord. Okay. And um, he was uh, on the stage and he was looking out into the congregation. I just, it was like instant. I knew that I had been operating as a ruler instead of a steward. I knew that yeah. I had been teaching things that I was not authorized to teach. I knew I'd been doing church in ways I was not authorized. Yeah. It's,
1: so be- that encounter, suffice to say, that encounter for you. Because of just that experience and that eye opening moment that it was for you, it it challenged everything that you were doing in ministry prior to that, or at least as many things as you could everything. come up with.
0: Everything. It challenged everything. And so
1: Did you try to implement some of that understanding in, in the church?
0: Oh yes. Yeah. And I and you know <laughs> you know, the Lord he he knows what he's doing. <laughs> you know, he chooses who he chooses. I'll look back and it's like, it was just very disruptive. You know, I'll be the first one to admit, Reed, until that encounter, okay, I had, first of all, I was a very dysfunctional pastor. I like to say I, I'm the chief of centers in the dysfunctional pastor mm-hmm. realm. Um, and uh, I created a lot of that dysfunction in my staff by... Valuing things to an extreme that the Lord doesn't value, yeah. and I had raised them in that, and they were—that's how they were promoted and that was.
1: So you th- think it's like th- maybe things like celebrity, uh, pastor culture, maybe things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's more like you know it's it's how how we teach the Word of God, the Lord's ways, um, you know looking at the filter of just, you know, getting people in seats and church growth and all the attendance stuff and all that leads to competition and it's killing pastors and then dying to self-preservation, doing, uh, what the Lord says, being willing to suffer, suffer with his people. Um, there were just so many things. And, and so I think just kind of what happened with some of the staff was it's like, okay we've been doing this church growth thing, this church growth model, which we were very good at yeah, very
1: made you successful and wealthy
0: ma- yes, ma- major success um, and it was like all of a sudden the next day I'm turning around saying "The Lord showed up, tear it all down." And I think that was uh, uh, traumatizing hmm. in some ways, and the Lord visiting it was traumatizing. It was. It was. It was yeah. very. Uh, I had no schema for what I saw when I was with him, and I had no schema for so many of the things that he showed me and deposited in me. And so working those out, and and at the same time, you know, if you go back, you know, you, um, it seems like I was apologizing every message because I felt like I had ignored things that were very important to the Lord yeah. and I had overvalued things that just weren't that valuable
1: you know it, what's interesting to me about this is that if you're let's just say you're the CEO of a fortune 500 company and you come into your board and you tell them uh, I had a vision from Jesus and things are about to change in this place now that can be met with a bit of skepticism and you would you would understand it but when a pastor of a church says I had a vision, Of Jesus like you would think the response to that would be well let's hear about it come on let's go yep however that is unless it starts to potentially impact the cottage industry that's built around the church and money and threaten people's positions of power and what people may or may not know about you is not only as a mega church in your own right with your own huge church But you're also a founding member of the ARC organization, uh, which is perhaps the biggest church planning organization on the planet. Um, And when you start saying, "I believe God spoke to me, and we're doing things wrong, and we need to, and we need to change things," well, there's two ways to look at that. One, this guy is crazy, and we need to throw him, throw him to the side, and or two. Man, let's hear this. Maybe, maybe God did speak to him. And I can't help but wonder if that first response isn't motivated by the fact that you're threatening people's pocketbooks now and you're threatening the empires that men have built that perhaps God may truly want to turn the tables over on.
0: Yeah, and, and I would say it this way, Reed. What it, what it threatens is, is hierarchy, And so I'm speaking to myself before the encounter, I had no other way to think about Christian organizational structures like arc or anything else other than hierarchical. And so that means in, 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 in Christianity or like what's going on. Okay. This guy masters this skill or he's, you know, leading this network. And so he's the expert and we all go learn from him and then where this church has kind of got this thing going, so
1: yeah. To put a bow on that, maybe like this is the dude that's the expert of small groups, yeah. this is the dude that's the experts of getting new visitors, this is the social media expert guy. Yeah. We go to these, we surround ourselves with these gurus, uh, and to then, build and our church,
0: yes. And then, so what happens there is now, now this hierarchy begins to form both intentionally and unintentionally. And so, you go to a conference, I've spoken at every, I'm Maybe there's a few, but almost every major, you know, big uh, Christian conference. And what happens is, you know, it's like there's these green room yeah. dynamics. You know, there's yeah. the green room that these certain people can go in. And there's a green room that... This is so these, true. There's
1: there's a caste system based upon is, attendance.
0: Yeah, it is It is a caste system uh, based on influence and attendance. I could even tell you about a green room within a green room in the highest level green room, that's another, <laughs> that's another podcast. And so, what happens? What we're what are we promoting? What are we doing? We are we are promoting hierarchy, competition, and value based on what we think is success. Yeah, which is numbers and growth and all these kind of things. And so many times that has nothing to do with our God things yeah. of success so you yeah. have and you have all these pastors right that are really called and God's called them to pastor and minister but man if they can't learn how to be like a CEO go-getter yeah apostolic world changer it's like they're they're a failure
1: it was it was startling to me still all to see this report and to hear financial impropriety and this is why uh, our pastor uh, why we brought these charges up against this pastor, and why we forbade him to come to the property, and then in that same report to hear, almost as another allegation, he had an encounter with Jesus. Yep. Like, well, what's the what's the problem there? And it's almost like they're they're tipping their hand as to what their real motivations are, because you asked throughout, or, or at least I asked throughout this, uh-huh. and you're probably still asking, like, why why are these people doing these things? Um,
0: well, and we know for a spiritual reason, you yeah. know. If the Lord did show up and it is his anointing and he did that, well, there's going to be no neutrality around that. And, um, and then the other thing is that's, that's where they developed um, the crazy narrative. Yeah. So they have to have a reason why are there all these secret trustee meetings and how are these attorneys getting involved before anything happens? And why aren't, the ARC leadership team calling me and telling me what's going on. And why aren't they, it's, it, they so they they have, it's this secret narrative that, you know, yes, Stovall said he had this encounter, but he probably had some psychotic episode. And so we've, gotta, we've and, got to.
1: And people have to understand this too in the midst of that, especially yeah. with places like ARC, who is, um, whether admittedly or not, a seeker sensitive church planting movement. And so not only is it a threat when one of their own starts getting crazy and talking about having visits visits with Jesus or visions of Jesus, it also is fundamentally counter to their paradigm of ministry, which is we don't talk about the goofy things that the Bible talks about, right? Like we're not going to talk about speaking in tongues and we're not going to talking about these kind of more mystical aspects that are clearly biblical because the seeker, and and being sensitive to that seeker is is more is, is important to us to such a degree that we will even hide a little bit of our, um, of our biblical, notions from the seeker so that we don't scare them away. We're go- we're going to be as as careful as possible to make sure that we're paying attention to the seeker first. And this is where I just say, well, I understand the heart behind that, but whatever happened happen to being spirit sensitive because if we're really seeker sensitive, the one thing that we will want to be more than anything is sensitive to God because God is the one that draws them, not us. And This is the thing that just blows my mind about the seeker sensitive movement. And 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 again, I just keep on coming back to this whole thing like to use it as an allegation against you that you had a vision from God and as though that's some kind of bad thing. Now, of course, they're not going to say that that's a bad thing. They're just going to say, well, we don't think that it um, uh, that it was healthy for the church or the way that it was being done or whatever. But, um, uh, but, but I think we could use some churches with some more visitation from Jesus, frankly, uh, um, yeah, on yes. a regular basis.
0: And it's like this, it's like, I'll I will tell everybody this. If I believe me, we thought we were going to lose half the church the Sunday when I yeah. began to talk about what happened. That was like, like, yeah, Carrie and I it's prayed through, and we're like, "Isn't that crazy?" Though? We were at the height of the church growth stuff, and we prayed through, and we thought, you know, if the Lord, if if half, I, I have to say something about we'll, this. We'll, we'll if, stay
1: if, this, if it is a risk to see Jesus in church, then then we might be doing church wrong.
0: Yes, <laughs> so yes, how enlightening. So 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 we okay. This hierarchy thing is important though, because another thing in the encounter. How the Lord, you know, treating his equals. So in the kingdom, there's there's authority, but there's not hierarchy, and it's it's very different. So so here's how I, a, a typical. It's like this, okay. All most people, most pastors in in America can think about in these network organizations, uh, is hierarchy. In other words, okay, wait. Stovall says he. Saw Jesus and now he's preaching all this different stuff. Man, I've spent 10 years climbing this hierarchical system.
1: Yeah.
0: If if I start leaning into what Stovall's saying, here's how they would think. Well, then now I've got to get into Stovall's hierarchy. See, they're they're putting me in that worldly, like now there's gonna be an encounter Jesus hierarchy, and I yeah. gotta do what. What he's saying, yeah, and that's so, interesting. yeah, and so it's it's this whole thing of that's why there's so much competition, and then these hierarchies they only affirm the people that echo what they're saying, and if you don't echo what they're saying, um, which I believe most hierarchies are, would be like that, well, then you're you're going to be ousted. Yeah. Um, however, I will say that after COVID ran its way. There were there was actually a, a season there where I feel like the values at ARC um, became much more aligned with the, the the values that came out of the encounter. I don't know if they talk about church growth much more. I know that they value wholeness and 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 mental health. I know that they, uh, they the COVID the lord shook things mm. and a lot of those things that weren't kingdom that i was preaching before got shaken out in covid come on and so now it's like some people left those things out some people uh picked them back up and so you know i, I had um great friends at ark and um you know but for those that contributed To this, and we can talk about kind of what the case is, uh, they will be held accountable for what they've done.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think if, um, and I know that there won't be everybody um, uh, who does this, but for those who are willing to uh, accept the suggestion that perhaps the allegations brought against Stovall are baseless. why did the, then why did these people do this? I think this encounter thing that they include in the report is the mode of operation, the reason behind, could be at least, the reason behind some of what took place. I know there's probably other motivations and other different things just because people are people, but, but I can understand that being this kind of overarching, like he's starting to shake things up. Um, he's starting to become inconvenient. So, let's do something about that.
0: all those lies, all that narrative spun, spun out of that. They use that the whole way through to build the other things, you know, and then the, the people that did fraudulent misrepresentation and the conspiracy and, and all the other stuff and fraud and stole or whatever, all all that's going to come out. And, um, but you're absolutely right. If you want to get to the core event and that fueled the whole thing, yeah, I, I would believe that. That's a big part of it.
1: Yeah. Okay, so um, I know that you've decided to not just be a bystander to all of this stuff, but to actually stand up and, and fight back a little bit here, if that's the right terminology. But at least to say you've, um, you've you're. I don't want to say this. Um, Threatening, I don't want to say threatening class action lawsuit. Um, Let me step back. Um, So suffice to say, uh, you haven't just been a bystander here. Um, These allegations have come forth and you're going to push back. Uh, So now that these things have come out, what are you doing in response to them? And I know this week is a big week. So include that too also in in what's going to be happening Tuesday.
0: Yeah, so what we did, you know, we resigned on uh, April 15th. Um, from all legal all affiliation with celebration church. I went and submitted uh, myself under presbyters, overseers, apostolic elders, again, three really uh, prominent men uh, pastors that have a lot of integrity in our city. and um, what they did was about 12 days after I left the church, they came out with the report. Now this is April, 24th.
1: Now, when you say they, you're not talking about those pastors, you're talking about the church. The
0: trustees. Yeah, yeah. the trustees uh, uh, came out with this report. So remember, they banned me from the property January, I don't know, 8th, 9th, 10th. Like it's April 26th, Reed. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, they're finally coming out with uh, the accusations. Okay, Um, if you look at what they had in there, you can get all that stuff in about two weeks in our church office. So um, what we did was we had no other recourse to protect ourselves and especially protect my wife, which what they have done to her, how they have brought my wife and my family into this um, in the most hostile uh damaging way possible is hard to believe Mm -hmm. and so there's a justice for my wife component and the honor of my family which is important to both my kids and my wife yeah and um and then but we had no other recourse than to address the allegations on the main page of the celebration church website yeah that are still up to this day. Yep. So what we did was uh, we filed a lawsuit that centers around defamation. And here's why. Because it puts their report on trial. So what's really on trial is the truthfulness of what is in that report. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're making them, or we believe the judge is going to make them and not go into arbitration. We want them to stand trial publicly because they – publicly have that on the website to this day mm-hmm. and they're promoting it on the Yeah, website. I think
1: it's only fair they yeah. should have to answer for they it.
0: Have to pu- publicly, you know, I mean, you know also, you know, biblical principles read if I say something about you that's not true, mm-hmm. if I um lie about you intentionally or unintentionally, if I slander you in public in any way, my repentance is not just you I need to make a public repentance. Yeah. So they're going to have to answer for that in a very public uh, uh, way. And so that's what the our, our, our lawsuit is. I had, We had no other choice. I had to protect my wife. I had to. She's still not safe because of what's on the website. Uh, you know, everything has been... It's just hostile, Mm -hmm. and that's going to come out. So uh, that's what that is, and people can go to StovallWeems.com, and they can read kind of a legal summary. They can read the case filing if they want, and that's where a lot of the details that we're talking about, they can get some really good information. I will say this. On April, I'm sorry, on August 9th, right? So that's uh, Tuesday is when we appear before the judge the first time. Okay they have not answered one of our charges that these things are not true. And celebration is going to actually, and I'll say celebration. I want to, I do not like saying this is celebration church, even though technically it is, it's really these trustees and yeah. their attorney.
1: Cause there's, there's people that just kind of yeah. are biased, innocent bystanders. Biased, it's, like
0: it's yeah It's like seven people. It's, it's, it's so they are going to uh, argue against the constitution of the United States.
1: Yeah, this is great.
0: And what they're going to do is they're going to challenge the U S constitution about people, freedom of religion. Um, you know, a person's right to worship where they choose, what church they choose, what religion they choose. And they are going to side with Scientology dogma, Mm -hmm. um, that says no, uh, Members, certain uh, members, uh, they can't leave until we, the trustees, say so.
1: Wow. Now, why are they doing that? Why is it important that they make you a member?
0: Because then they can try to get it in this ecclesiastical, religious abstention. So they're
1: trying to duck the law. In other words, okay.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes, they're, they're trying to break the law in the name of religion. They want to <laughs> slander in the name of religion.
1: <laughs> so if they, it, by making you a member, they don't have to abide by, um, they can say there's religious exemptions by, uh, for some of the things that we did.
0: They, they can only try that. It's not going to work because uh-huh. if you go look at the Scientology cases, you know, the Scientology and some of their offshoot cults, Um, They would have these billion-year membership contracts, 50 pages, legal. And so what happened is people would try to leave. I mean, you can see documentaries on it. They would say, no, no, According to you signed the contract according to our religion. Basically, we can destroy you in the name of religion. That's what our religion says. Well, it started going to the courts, and the courts were like, no, Constitution, freedom of religion. Every individual has the right to go to whatever church, choose their church, choose their religion, choose their whatever. You cannot... Make a person stay. Yeah, uh, they've already they've already gone. And so, um, that's so insane. Yeah, that's that that's not going to hold up. The embarrassing thing is they're actually going to try that. Yeah, like Scientology did, and they're actually going to like think about the average person. Like think about this. You go ask <laughs> like, hey, did y'all hear? like this? Is the all the things that we've said. All of our filings, all of this stuff, what is the best they got? Stovall's still a member. Mm -hmm. So everyone needs to know on August 9th, that is what the trustees, that's their best shot. Let's try to say Stovall's a member. Yeah. And he has to stay a member until the trustees say I'm no longer a member. So (sighs) – yeah. No evidence, no anything. It's just... And their what their accusations against me were so publicly. They ought to be yeah. glad to publicly...
1: Yeah, let's go, back right? Back them let's, up.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, but...
1: But nothing. Okay, so I think that this is very important, at least I think, uh, for people to follow along because let's just say that they might even greet this podcast with a sense of skepticism and then i would do what you just did which is encourage people to follow along to see what actually happens here so that in the future we can be a little bit more critically thinking about things that we hear and about things that go on in the church so that we can gosh i mean hopefully return back to a biblical understanding of church and then also if there are any cracks in the foundations of the institution of the church or the way that we're doing things, fix those things.
0: Yeah. So, Reed, think about this, you know. So think about, which is why it's so important it's in court, because all the serious things they charge me with are secular criminal yeah. laws. Have nothing to do with religious doctrine. But think about this. If one rogue, fraudulent billing scheming trustee can get a litigating attorney okay or as the church attorney says if one rogue trustee or didn't say rogue trustee if one trustee can call your church attorney david middlebrook and here's what the church attorneys uh uh, lee Wetekin says call david middlebrook And the pastor never even get a phone call. And somehow David Middlebrook with the trustees doesn't call you. And then they get a litigating attorney, make up false accusations and oust you, claim criminal charges against you. Think about, I would say this, if this can happen all over America if this sets some kind of precedent oh you better people need to get really really careful yeah. about what they hear about men and women of god about spiritual leaders and about pastors because if you can do what they did thank thank god we you know we had a family that could help us mm-hmm. or, and but it would the the lawlessness that,
1: uh, it's devastating. I mean, the truth, the truth is, is that you've lost the church that you started. You've lost your health insurance. You've lost in some ways. I know that they can't really take this from you, but it feels like this lost your reputation.
0: Oh, yes. I mean, to, to rebuild my reputation, Reed, they have that narrative out there for so long, man, it's going to take work. I mean, I'll call people, they won't even look at the evidence that's like 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 your your readers if they could or, or your listeners if they could please go in and, and actually look at the documents and they're going to see a, um over this next week or two yeah they're going to see a lot of evidence um it's like people don't want to hear it it's like i've kind of
1: it's out of sight out of mind yeah it's and that is the that's a good place to end i think is that like I think compartmentalization is easier, so we don't have to critically think about a pastor who's been accused of something. We just have to entertain the accusation and accept it. But the harder work and the more important work, the more sophisticated thing to do is to actually weigh these things, to think about what's actually taking place. And I think that not only helps us um, know the truth in your situation, but, boy, that helps us be clearer biblical thinkers. On a multitude of different things, so I think your story really serves as a it, as a microcosm for something much bigger and more important. Yes,
0: yes, absolutely. And what you said in the beginning it's it's there's still love for the truth. Yeah, there's still the truth. And think about if you if you look at all of the biblical characters, think about Jesus and Paul. What if people just believed all the terrible things that were, yeah, said about people in the Bible? I think, yeah. and here's another thing we could talk about at another time if we're really uh if pastors are 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 really following uh the lord in the sense of preaching the gospel of the kingdom and standing for the truth is it more normal for them to be slandered or not slandered wow so i you know going into i'm like i gotta stop the slander i gotta stop the (laughs) slander and i've realized no it. There's a problem if I'm not being slandered.
1: Come on. I I think people have this impression of Jesus that he was just so darn God blasted nice that they just had to crucify him because he was so pesky and loving, Uh, rather than that he was actually confronting, um, much like the encounter that you had, confronting the status quo of his day and it was a threat to people. And then they wanted to kill him as a result of it so suffice to say i think it's really important that people kind of follow along with what's going on and um i think it's a really important time that we're releasing this podcast prior to the week where where these things are going to be heard i know the decision is probably going to take a little bit of time but people can follow along at least and um and hear what's happening so what's the best way for people to do that to stay up with your story and to follow you and what's going on with you
0: yeah i think this week what we've done is on on com. it's just kind of my personal ministry page there's a bar up there that says uh legal case yeah and so there all there's there's They'll see summaries, they'll see our case, and we're putting some other things up there this week, too. We think it's real important that the church as a whole sees what the trustees and this attorney are arguing. Uh And when they see that and they see those lies, I think that's going to help explain Right. A lot of things okay so. so they
1: can follow you on your website what about social media are you posting stuff about this i there? am this week yep. okay yep. so they can follow you there as well i'll put any of that stuff down in the description of this uh episode below so that people can access that but i'll just say this um as a as a person who started a church and has pastored in multiple different capacities um I can only imagine what you're going through, Um, and there is a human side of me outside of the technicality of all the things that we've talked about today and the allegations and all that stuff, and my heart does break for you that it seems as though perhaps that everything that you've known has just been shaken and destroyed and taken from you, Um, so I just want to say that um, I'm sorry all this happened, but I know that God's going to use it for good.
0: He is. He is. And I want to let ev- everyone listen out there as well. Listen, we are not bitter, but we are grateful in some ways. Read speaking to how this is a microcosm of something bigger yeah. uh, and, and things that are coming. I think this had to happen mm. in some ways. Uh, and um, we're we're looking forward to what the Lord has for us in the future. And, um, you know, we're, we're fighters. Yeah. I mean, all of us, you, the body of Christ, it's in our DNA. The Lord's a warrior. The heavenlies are at war and we're made for war. We're made to fight.
1: Like, you know, I thought about that, too. When Jesus does come back, it is the ultimate justice. But we don't we don't we talk about like, oh, don't be a culture war Christian. And don't don't you know, you're not supposed to fight these battles. You're supposed to just love people. It's like, have you seen what the end of the story looks like?
0: Yes. He's <laughs> taking vengeance. It's, and so, you know, any anyway, I think that when we're to, like, it's like this love for the truth. You look through scripture when it talks about last days, however, you want to qualify that, you know, 10 years, a thousand years, whatever you want to qualify it. It the the love for the truth is the primary. Yeah. Reading Matthew 24, reading Timothy, it is the primary thing that it doesn't say a love for church. It doesn't say a love for going to Bible study. That's right. Those things are important. It's a love for the truth. And what I know is the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth if we have a love for the truth. And so that love for the truth, truth can't happen without justice. Yeah. And so in the body of Christ, we've got this really weird, modern, westernized, whatever this thing is, that, that justice is somehow... We shouldn't seek justice.
1: Yeah, it's suffering in silence and just taking it. Yeah,
0: taking it. And that's the other thing, like, okay, um, it's like, let God defend you. Yes, of course God defends me. You can't find one story in the in the scriptures where every single like the Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. Yeah, and then Moses and Joshua and then went to war against Amalek in a ruthless violent battle and the lord was with them because they cooperated with them if you look at how many times paul had to defend his ministry jesus had to defend his ministries constantly arguing with the people that were coming against him and the only time jesus didn't defend uh his authority and uh his name his father's name was at the very end When he chose to lay, he said, I'll call down all these angels right now. I'll wipe this place clean. I could do that if I wanted to, but I choose to lay my life down. I choose this. After that, he was a sheep to the slaughter, and he didn't open his mouth. I can't clear my name, uh, Reed. I need people that believe in truth and justice to help do that. But it is my... God-given responsibility to defend my name, my wife's honor, my kid's honor, and, and rebuild my reputation, my wife's reputation. That it's, that's my responsibility. But believers should want justice, and they should see justice as a crucial godly trait and a way of imaging Jesus.
1: I would just say this, if the truth is what's at stake, then fight on Mighty Warrior because there, there's never um, a time where we don't need to know it. Yep. And to fight for it and to stand for it. And God forbid there ever be a time that we don't. So so thank you that you're willing to even go the extra step to uh to push these things a little bit further in court and hold people accountable where they need to be held accountable. Because I know that's not easy for you either or anybody that's involved. But uh if the truth comes as a result of it, it's a it's a price worth paying. So thank you for your stand, man, and thank you for sharing your story yeah, with you us be- today.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Reed. All
1: right. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. Indie Thinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndyThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but
0: infinitely more when you think for yourself.